before uh, we read the scripture this morning, I wanted to tell you about a dinner I had recently with a young adult who was not looking forward uh, to going to church with her dad today. Uh, Not because she didn't love her dad. In fact, going to church with him was a big sign that she loved him. The problem was that she had been to church with him before, and the last time she went, she felt like it was an hour and a half of being told how bad she was, how bad everyone is. And it gave her, it made her feel bad about herself, and it kind of made her feel bad about God. And so we're having dinner, and she's telling me about this. Uh, she had only just found out that I was a pastor. <laughs> and, uh, and so she wanted to know if I thought that was true. The original sin, uh, that, we're, that we're all just born bad. And it was a really tough question for me, because there's no doubt in my mind, right, that sin is real. I mean, all you have to do is listen to the news. The 15th school shooting in 18 months, um, the renewed fighting in Iraq or in Sudan. Every time I hear about the vast disparities of wealth in our country and around the world— I'm convinced <laughs> that sin is very real, and I think Augustine might have been onto something. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that it's, it's real and that it's been around for a very long time. And even, like, when I think about when I was uh, a baby, I don't think I started out so innocent. I think I started out pretty selfish, uh, concerned from day one about getting my needs met. And most days, right— That's still my number one concern. But it's also true that the Bible is very important to me. And in that book, the first thing that God says about us is not that we're bad. The first thing that God says about us is this. In the beginning, right, When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind, breath, spirit from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw how good the light was. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. 
And God said, Let the waters that are under the sky be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together God called the seas. And God saw how good it was. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw how good it was. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to have charge over the day and the lesser light to have charge over the night and the stars. And God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth and to have charge over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw how good it was. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the dome of the sky. So God made the great sea monsters, and every living thing that moves with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw how good it was. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters of the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw how good it was. And then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, 
according to our likeness, and let them have charge over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle and the wild animals of the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the ground. So God made humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created us, male and female. God created us. And God blessed us and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and make use of it. Take charge over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over everything that moves upon the face of the earth. And God said to us, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps upon the earth and to everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed how very good it was. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitudes. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done, and God blessed the seventh day and called it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth as they were created. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the midst of learning this story by heart, I went to something in Jacksonville called Paint Night. It's similar to a painting class that Dale Childs offers in the summer. You don't have to have any experience with painting to go. They provide you with all the materials and an artist who walks you through the painting step by step. And I couldn't help but notice the parallels with Genesis. You see, in the beginning, our canvas was blank and void. But then the artist said... Let there be color. And there was color. It was blue, to be exact. We painted the sky, and then we had to draw a line to separate the sky from the sea, and then dry land on either side, and trees. And I started looking around, like, does anybody else see what's happening here? We're on day three. And once the paint had dried, 
we added the moon and the stars to our sky, and I wanted to shout, day four, people, we're on day four. Thankfully, I had the good sense not to shout, but I couldn't help but wonder if God wasn't creating the world kind of like a painter would, which would mean that our first image of God is not the image that my friend heard on Easter Sunday at her church, but our first image of God is not an angry or disappointed father, judge. Our first image of God is God as artist, absolutely delighted with his creation. You know, it didn't hurt that I had been reading this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, and that the premise of it is that God, as the creator of the universe, was the first artist, and that part of what it means to be created in God's image is to be creative. Some of us, you know, we have this idea that an artist is someone with special gifts for painting or drawing or someone who studied art in college. But if we are looking to God as our model, then an artist is simply someone who makes and orders things in ways that are new and good and useful. And then we all have the capacity to be artists, whatever our station in life, whatever our vocation. So I was thinking, if one of the first things that God says about us, about human beings, is not that we are bad or sinful or broken, but that we are created in God's image and that we are very good, it seems really important to me to try to figure out what that means, being created in God's image. And it seems to me that God's artistry is as much about a way of being as it is about a final product. I think there's a reason that the first followers of Jesus were called people of the way. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Julia Cameron called her book The Artist's Way. And so I don't just want to know that God was an artist. I want to know how God was an artist. So here are some things that I noticed about the way that God, the artist, approached creation. First, God does a lot of looking. God saw, God saw. Seven times that verb appears. But even before God creates the heavens and the earth, God seems to be paying attention. The wind, breath, spirit of God is out there hovering over the waters. God is paying attention to what is. That's how it all starts. And so maybe our first task as image of God artists is to pay attention. You know, Jesus modeled that for us. A lot of his parables begin with observations of the world around him. Lilies of the field, the mustard bush, bread making, laborers in the vineyard. Jesus' art tended to take the form of teaching, storytelling, healing, maybe with a little political theater thrown in here and there, but it all began with paying attention to God, to the world around him, to people he encountered, and to himself. Last month, I went to a conference for pastors in their first five years of ministry called Credo. 
Each of us was asked to reflect on different areas of our life and to listen for how God might be calling us to make changes. Part of that listening happened in small groups, and it was amazing to me how almost every single person in our small group had a revelation or an insight that came to them by paying attention to creation. For one woman, it was watching the ducklings play that made her realize that if she stopped thinking about exercise as a great big should and started thinking about it as an opportunity to play and experiment, it might be a little easier to do. For another colleague, it was watching the family of ducks stick together as they moved around the pond that made him realize how he had been neglecting his own family. So I wonder, what is it that you might be doing in your own life to practice paying attention? Are you journaling or blogging? Are you taking pictures? Are you spending time out in creation? Are you reading the news prayerfully or watching your kids? There are lots of ways to pay attention. I noticed something else, though, about the way God pays attention. After that first day of creation, one of the refrains about God seeing is very particular. You probably heard it a lot, right? God saw how good it was. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency sometimes to notice the first, notice first the thing that needs fixing or improving. I wonder what it would be like to go through life noticing first how good everything is. According to Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, our goal as spiritual people should be to live life in radical amazement. Some people do this by keeping a gratitude journal by their bed. Some do it by starting every prayer with thank you. Some people do it by how they post on social media. Some people just practice it with a quiet awareness moment by moment. If you would like a spiritual friend to show you how you might practice both paying attention and noticing the good, I highly suggest the poet Mary Oliver. She is a master of the artist's way, and she argues pretty convincingly that whatever else we do with our one wild and precious life, all of us can look, can pay attention, can look for what is good, and can tell about it. If you think about it, that's what evangelists do. It's also what artists do. Another thing I noticed about how God created the world has to do with the darkness, which is important, right, for my friend's question. God separates the light from the darkness, but God does not condemn or banish the darkness. God uses the darkness for the marking of time. Now, the story could have easily said, God saw how good the light was and how bad the darkness was. But it doesn't say that. God seems to be able to put everything, even the darkness, to some kind of good use. In fact, God seems to go out of God's way to emphasize how good everything is. 
It's like God can anticipate our questions. But what about the rattlesnake? Every creeping thing, God says. Even the jellyfish? Everything with which the waters swarm. What about the horsefly? Everything that has the breath of life. I see Jesus embodying this in the way that he is with people. Children, Samaritans, tax collectors, Pharisees, lepers, questionable women, centurions. Jesus seems to go out of his way to bless every kind of human being with his presence. And when he encounters the deep darkness, when he's arrested and sentenced to death for, of all things, blasphemy, he doesn't run away and he doesn't retaliate with violence. He lets this darkness become the cornerstone of our knowing that God is with us, that God forgives us, and that God's love is more powerful than sin or death. I wonder what our own experience of life would be like if instead of trying to banish the darkness or condemn it or call it names or get it as far away from us as possible, I wonder what would be different if we were curious about it, compassionate toward it, saw it as raw material for making something good and useful. Maybe wisdom to share with others. Or maybe it's a doorway to compassion. Or maybe it's inspiration for our work for justice. Maybe seeing God as an artist is a little bit of a stretch for you. Maybe seeing yourself as an artist is too. All I know is I want to live in the world more like God does in this story. I want to pay more attention, especially to what is good. I want to be more curious about the dark and the strange, trusting that God can redeem it. I want to live my life one day at a time, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. I want to be the kind of leader that collaborates and empowers instead of trying to do everything myself. I want to practice resting and enjoying God's good creation, not just when I retire, but right now, this week, every week so that I have the energy and inspiration to continue collaborating with God in the ongoing work of creation, which is bringing light into darkness, order out of chaos, and diversity and abundance into the world. It's not that sin isn't real or powerful. It's not that we should stick our heads in the sand and pretend like everything is all right with the world. Paying attention makes that impossible. But part of the good news is that sin is not God's first word about humanity. And it isn't God's last word either. Creation and new creation are the alpha and omega of God's word to us in scripture. And in the meantime, we have a story about God making the world that gives us lots of tools for how to live in that world, even the dark parts, with grace and with hope. 
We have a Savior who modeled a life like that. And we have the Holy Spirit binding us all together and with Christ, filling us with power, nudging us in the right direction as we try to walk in that way ourselves. The way of our Father, the artist's way. Amen.